Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about autistic joy. I'm Alexa Rayhack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, her pronouns. My name is Micah Silver, and I'm an elementary educator, and I use they, them pronouns. Today we're talking about Wes Anderson's 2012 film, Moonrise Kingdom, story that revolves around two escaped, probably neurodivergent kids just trying to get along in the world, and the parents who can't stand it. Yeah. Should you watch this movie? I think so. I genuinely think this movie's kind of cute. And if you're not watching it with the kind of like feminist therapy informed lens that we do, it's it could potentially be enjoyable. <laughs> could potentially be enjoyable. What a resounding. That's a pretty uh, high praise for a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. I mean, it's the most I've enjoyed a Wes Anderson film so far. Fair. Fair. Which is not saying a lot no it's like my best root canal it's like <laughs> uh, still a root canal you can follow us on twitter at anthro267 please leave a review and rate us on apple Podcasts. it helps very much and as always thank you and man this movie has like a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. 93%. You, we, we've almost turned this movie off. We, oh. we had to stop it in the middle. I am so glad this is our last Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. I can't. I am done with his shit. I hate it so much. It's awful. This is like such a Wes Anderson movie. It like... Kids aren't kids. The only kids that you get to see be kids are the adults. Right. All of the kids who are under 12 are tiny adults. Uh Uh-huh. There's weird chemistry. Yeah. There's a lot of weird cuts and... Swoop pans and and stuff. stuff. Yeah. And everything's the same color. Right. Yeah, everything's that same khaki color. And there's, like, no plot. Yeah. I mean... The, basically, the only box that doesn't tick on the um, Wes Anderson blackout board, like bingo card, is an inappropriate relationship between a small child and an adult. That's true. That's true. Although, like, Although, maybe Sam and the, like, policeman. That's what I was going to say, too. Yeah, like, that's maybe a that's little a little odd. Weird. Like, you did just meet him a day ago. Maybe he shouldn't be your dad. Right. That's not how that works. But like, oh, also good, healthy dose of misogyny. Yeah. There are three female characters in this movie, Mm -hmm. which is the most we've had in a Wes Anderson movie. Totally. One of them is cheating. Right. One of them is 12 and one of them is a switchboard operator. Oh, and there's social services who doesn't have a name. Oh, yeah. And social services who literally isn't a character and she doesn't even have a name. Why waste Tilda Swinton on a character that has no acting? I I do think if I could wipe my brain and not watch this from my brain, but from the brain of like a neurotypical, like mentally stable, straight white man, I do think this movie is very pretty. Sure. And it is very interesting in that it's like unusual. It's quirky. It's yeah, quirky. It's kind of 
quirky and fun and it propels itself better than most Wes Anderson movies despite not having a plot. Is this movie a manic pixie dream girl? Every Wes Anderson movie is a manic pixie except it's like a sad clown girl. It's like yeah she can fix you. Except you're just both going to be sad together and not do anything about it. And like again like this movie really crystallizes this feeling that all these Wes Anderson movies have of that like creeping everyday ubiquitous sadness but it never gets dealt with or addressed in any way like they never even say the words depressed no they do he asks uh the little boy asks uh the little girl are you depressed that's right that's right and then he laughs at her yeah even though he obviously feels the same way but masculinity makes it such that you must ridicule anyone who feels an emotion. Yeah. Oh, and then there's that scene after, I think it's after the first time that they get like brought home and she's in the bath. The little girl yep. is in the bath with her mom and her mom's like, I know it's hard. We girls just have more emotions. Bullshit. I was so fucking furious. Like, no, you just... Boys are punished for having emotions. I don't know what I wanted to say about that, except that it made me mad. It made me so mad. And it just is like a further, furtherance of this movie's misogyny. I'm so Like Wes Anderson doesn't even know that women exist. And then when he does, they are an inconvenience. Yeah, they really are. They're a trophy at best or an inconvenience at worst. They really are. They usually just get in the way. Yeah, or if they aren't in the way, they are only there to be dangled in front of men. Yeah. Which, like, ew. Again, yeah, it's like this girl also is a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. She just is sad. Like, every woman in every Wes Anderson movie is just a depressed pixie dream girl. Like, yeah. it's not going to fix you to just date someone who is also sad. You have to both work on your mental health stuff together. Yeah. You can support each other through the sadness. Like, being able to empathize with each other's sadness. Great. Fantastic. Wonderful. Spiraling into each other's sadness and sinking deeper and deeper into your depression. That's toxic. That's not healthy. You know? Support each other. Don't pull each other down. Yeah. I have this theory. So when we were watching this movie, we both pitched that these kids might both be autistic. I feel like most characters or, in Wes Anderson movies could be read as autistic. Or neurodivergent in some way. Yeah. But that's what, that made me think about if you watch every Wes Anderson movie as if it was made by an autistic person as a view of what an autistic person sees when they watch human beings interact, like neurotypical human beings interact. Everything makes sense. It makes so much more sense. So what I'm saying is I have some news for Wes Anderson. (laughs) I thought, honestly, I've been thinking that since, like, since Tenenbaums, I've been like, I bet, I bet, I I bet. I mean, I also think... Because the way that everyone is so, like, stiff and all the words sound, like, rehearsed, it's like, that is how, if you had never learned to mask, that is how human interactions seem. It is! It's like, it's so hard to... It's so subtle. It's so hard to figure out what anyone is doing. It's... You guess and are often wrong... 
people don't want to hear your long stories about your the cool rock you found or whatever. And people don't like you and you don't know why. Right. And no one likes you and you can't figure out why. Yeah. Which is like a whole B plot line in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. The whole B plot with the troop is like, why do we hate this kid? Right. And like, I think it, we were like 20 minutes in and I just turned to you. I'm like, so these two autistic kids are going to run away together. Yeah. Like makes sense. They like obviously both have bad home lives. Right. Like she's obviously not supported and you know, is having a hard time regulating her emotions mm-hmm. and is having a hard time fitting in or whatever. Right. And he's in a fucking foster home. Right. Which is obviously contributing to his like inability to socialize properly. Right. Like being in an unstable situation or it sounds like he's probably been bounced between a lot of different yeah. foster homes and, and things like that. Like, of course, none of that is going to be good for a kid who has, like, underlying issues. Right. And, like, he's obviously got a special interest. She's obviously got a special yeah, interest. camping is obviously his special interest. Hers are... Uh, her books. Her magic books. Yeah. You Which, know. like, how many of us who later learned we were autistic read 100,000 million fantasy books as kids... And nobody batted an eye when we could, like, recite the entire plot of a thousand-page tome that we read in a weekend. Again, there's just, like, not a lot to talk about in this movie. Like, even for a movie based around children, Mm. there is no childhood. Yeah, I literally put Wes Anderson on this list because of this movie. Because I was like, well, so, you know, so rarely do we get a movie that actually centers around not one but two children and that also a bunch of the tertiary characters are also children. I was like, fucking jackpot. Of course we got to watch this movie. And now that we watched it for the show, I'm like, nothing happens. Like, we have some, like, awkward sex stuff to talk about and we there's obviously the, like, depression and mental health stuff, but, like, you've already heard us talk about however many fucking Wes Anderson movies by now. And again, with a lot of his other movies, he could have done better. It's That's the like thing. It's like a sprinkling of depression. And it's like, just like everyone's sad. And it's not even like depression. It's just melancholy. Yeah. And it doesn't even feel, it doesn't feel like it's heightened in a way that makes it like satire or like a commentary. It just feels like a director who is always sad making movies that are also always sad. And then to watch them is quite sad. Wes Anderson, go to therapy. Yeah, man, go to. Writing is a great outlet. I, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You didn't need to make all of these films to make yourself feel better. Yeah, well, I guess if your parents are rich, then um... fuck off. You can just do whatever the fuck you want. Why can't we fund, like, some indie queer films instead of this trash? Instead of this. Because, like, this this was just... I hated this movie. I have hated the last four movies we have watched. And it is... It's all downhill from here. You'll be happy to know. I mean, downhill in a good way. Okay. I mean, it all gets easier from here. I mean, it's Chris... Like, it's Sofia Coppola and Chris Columbus. I have a lot of feelings about Chris Columbus. I mean, yeah, but at least those movies are... Actually childhood. Right. They're straight over the plate. Where this 
is these movies are fucking knuckleballs. Like, I don't even know how to swing at this. Yeah, that's true. Was that good? Did I do a good sports analogy? I don't know baseball, really. That sounded right. Okay, cool. I'm going to take it. (laughs) This Boy Scout camp or whatever pissed me the fuck off. Yeah? As a camp counselor Uh and as someone who has worked in many camps Mm -hmm. with children, you have one staff member. For oh my god 15 boys for so many kids that is not okay that is not okay uh the rigorous uniform checks and shit i went to an arts camp a fucking arts camp where i had to wear a strict uniform <laughs> and it was hideous let children dress themselves they are allowed to yeah you especially know, just like day to day at camp that seems let excessive. them express themselves through their clothes also, like, how many of those shirts, these uniform shirts, do you have? Like, you washing those every day? Or you, seems like, because they said they've been at this camp for six weeks. Also, it's September. Why are you not in school? Right? That All the stuff I read was, like, that this happens in the summer. But, like, it happens in September. And I get that it's supposed to be summer. But Wes Anderson knows when seasons happen, right? School starts September 1st, assholes. Usually, yeah. Like, usually in August now. Yeah, it's usually late August now. I know thunderstorms don't happen in early August, but like on top of just bad staffing management, like the lack of panic when you lose one camper, let alone all 12 of your Yeah, kids, right? The unsupervised motorbiking and firework creating and... It just like rang so many red flags. I couldn't take it seriously. I hate to um, I hate to rain on this particular parade, but this is kind of what the scouts are actually. I was gonna like. ask, is this kind of is this realistic to the scouts? Like, so I mean, this is also like the '60s, and like scouting organization has changed a lot in the last half century. But like, I don't think the discipline and like uniform stuff has ever been like this kind of serious fair but like the thing that people forget about the scouts is like sure there's a number of kids who are in it because they want to be in like a civic organization or some kids like the sort of para like military aspect of it which i find really gross and i think needs to be divested from the whole organization but absolutely like, we could do a whole two-hour podcast on our thoughts on the scouting organizations but anyway like a lot of the scouts is just boy children who happen to be like lightly unhinged in a way that makes their parents want to send them to the woods once a month you know there's just like a lot of kids who want to use knives and want to start fires and want to wield an axe and maybe want to kill some small animals and like probably want to cause some property damage or wreak some general havoc and like instead of disciplining those kids or having conversations with those kids because they're boys you just send them outside where hopefully their violence will be as dispersed as possible Yikes. And as a kid who was not that kind of kid, right? Like I was in the Scouts because I liked the outdoors. Right. And I happened to also be like kind of a soft 
gentle soul. You are. I received a lot of like bullying and abuse in that organization from exactly that kind of kid. And there was never any kind of like recourse or responsibility because it was seen as like, well, boys will do whatever they will do. And it's up to the boys to just like handle themselves. Even though I was like a 12 year old kid being abused by like 17 and 18 year olds. Yikes. Yeah. That. Yeah. Because it's, there's this hands off approach to raising male children. That's just like, let them be feral and hope that they work it out at some point. It was very much the opposite as a child, a female child, yeah. which was like, be perfect or else you're not worth anything. So now learning to be feral is like a whole process. And you're so used to like being practiced and making sure you do everything right and like check all the boxes and especially yeah. as an autistic person. Right. right. Like, I love checked boxes. Checklist makes me very happy. And yet, yikes. That's a big yikes. And like that, that is one thing that this, that the scouting, the movies and media that include the scouts never show. Yeah. Is that it is just a lot of fucking cretins, you know? It's just a lot of like assholes who know they can get away with being an asshole because they're like lightly monitored. Yeah. And in this movie, all of the kids in this Boy Scout troop and this khaki scout troop are like exactly the same age. They're all like 12 to 14. Right. But that's not how the organization works. Like in the Cub Scouts, it's everyone from kindergarten. It's basically all of elementary school. Okay. And then in Boy Scouts, it's everybody else. That's a big age range. So it's it's six to twelve in Cubs, and it's third or twelve or thirteen to eighteen in the like Boy Scouts. That's a big age range. Yeah, expecting twelve and thirteen year olds to be able to get along with seventeen and eighteen year olds is nuts. Absolutely insane. I mean, I was in Girl Scouts for a hot minute, but I wanted to go back to a thing you said about. How when you were being raised as a girl child, it was very much the opposite. Like everything was very strict. There were a lot of rules. So many rules. There was a lot of, you know, teaching you to deal with your emotions and everyone else's emotions and handle the like reactions and mitigate the reactions of everyone around you. Yeah. I do think this movie does a good job. See, I brought it back to the movie. I do think this movie does a good job of showing the difference of the raising of these two children and how they are very similar and the way that they are raised has led them to be very, to show that in very different ways. Yeah. Susie's parents are awful. Yeah. Susie's parents are terrible, but this is like, the classic, like, you have to keep a short leash on your girl children and then the boy children sort of exemplified by Sam, who's, you know, a foster kid and who's, like, at the first sign of trouble, his foster parents are just like, nope, bye, give him back to the state. Yeah, where Susie's are, like, you show, you take any step out of line and it's, your leash gets shorter. Right. 
And so she becomes this like very staid, quiet, very internalized person who is like yeah. deeply full of sadness and rage that she is unable to express. Yep. That comes out violently. Yep. Whereas Sam is the total opposite because he's basically been left to raise himself. He does whatever he wants with total abandon and with no real conception of how that affects anyone around him. Right. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think it was a good contrast between the two. And I like I did identify with Susie a lot more than I was expecting to. Totally. Of that, like, like I learned from a young age that if you shut up and sat quietly, you would get a bet. You could do more. Right. And like, it always it bothered the fuck out of me that my brother just like couldn't seem to get that. Right. And like, he was always like causing causing trouble, quote unquote, and like getting into fights and like then getting mad that he didn't have privileges where I was like, just shut up and do what they want you to. And you will get said privileges and then you can go fuck off and be your own person and not deal with them. Yeah. But it also turned into me hiding most of who I was and what I was going through from my family. And to the point of like where I still do today, like I, like my family and I are closer, like my mom and I have rebuilt a relationship, but there are still large parts of my life that I do not feel comfortable sharing with my parents because of all of that internalized, Mm -hmm. like anger and shame and criticism that I got, that got put on me. And like, seeing Susie be this like like I love camping I I adore camping but I really connected and recognized Susie wanting to bring her bit of control into camping of having you know not necessarily thinking of bringing a backpack to carry it all not necessarily thinking of like a sleeping bag or a tent but things that make her comfort her comfortable and her pieces of herself that are truly her right that she can have no matter where she goes and i think especially for a girl like Susie, who has had so little opportunity to really be herself that's really what she's running away from right is that restriction and so being able to bring her books and to bring her records that is her escape right like it was so refreshing to see the scene where they're at the little cove and Mm -hmm. like have settled in was until the end really refreshing. Like to see these two, as I read them, autistic kids have a space to be autistic together and not have to deal with outside influences and Mm -hmm. be able to like have fun and jump and play in water and to like do their special interests and to be able to like talk however they want to talk was amazing and like really refreshing. I just wish there was some fucking intention behind it. Right. Yeah. It feels like it was an accident. Yeah. If you read this movie as two autistic kids who finally just get to be real fucking the real fucking weirdos they've always been together. Right. Then it's actually kind of beautiful. Yeah. But that's never made clear. And so it's not, it feels like giving the director too much credit to just assume that that's what you meant. Like I'm so tired of directors like 
hinting at telling the stories of like mentally ill and neurodivergent people, but then never saying it so that we can't ever actually point to it as representation. Right. It's just, it's queer baiting, right? It's the same thing of where like you make two male characters like hold hands and make long eye contact, but they're never going to like actually date because then that, that would be taking a stance. Right. But, if you just are gay, you can just read into it. Right, exactly. And it feels like, this feels like autism baiting. It really does. Or it's the thing that happens with other directors where you just don't know how much you're putting out there. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? It might just be one of these, like, do you realize how much of you is on screen? Because I do. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot. And I have concerns. Yeah. Yeah, I have concerns for you, my friend. Like, especially the way he uses the same actors all the time. Yeah. Like. Definitely. I, I'm i just saying. Yeah, I mean, he's famously bad at working with actors, especially new actors he doesn't know. I'm saying. Yeah. I Since we're talking about that Cove scene. We got to talk about we it. We got to talk about the sort of awkward. Absolutely inappropriate. I, that's, okay, so I think we're going to fall on different sides of this. Let me clarify. I, not, I have complicated feelings about this. Because, like, I think we're supposed to believe both these kids are, like, 12 or 13. Yeah. So I don't think anything they do is age inappropriate. No, I don't think, I don't think so. I think, I think what they do is fine. And I am not mad at it. Like, I think we need to see more awkward kids be awkward kids. And totally. Not shame kids for one being attracted to other. Right. What makes me feel squicky and what makes me feel what makes me feel squicky and what makes me feel like it's inappropriate is not so much the results of what happened, but what had to happen to get said shot and had to get film to film said scenes. Yeah. It feel like. (sighs) It does feel a little. It feels manipulative. Of these actual actual child child actors. actors. And like, I, yes, they are children, but they're also doing a job and, you know, have, like I am sure have the ability to disassociate from or not disassociate, uh, have the ability to uh, understand work versus reality and whatever. Right. Like they're obviously professionals. Yeah. But it just feels squicky. Yeah. The choice to make it as explicit as it is with child actors just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, I agree that it is awkward. And I looked and both these actors are 14 when they're making this movie. Okay. And like, granted, with, you know, the way the rules around child actors, like their parents probably their parents had to be on set and all that kind of stuff. And like, this is tricky because I I am inclined to agree with you that having as much as like they probably tried to keep it as brief. And whatever, as quick as possible, like there was still like a few hours where these two 14 year old kids were standing around in their underwear, like pretend making out with each other. Yeah. For a bunch of adults standing and watching. Yeah. Like 
that feels bad. Yes. But I do also think that it is important to depict young sexuality this way in order to destigmatize it. Absolutely. Because kids are making out. Kids are sometimes having sex at the, around this age and like that's if they feel comfortable with that that's fine. Yeah. And we need as adults to get over our hang up of observe feeling gross about being adults observing child sexuality. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Because children are going to be sexual and it's not for us and that's fine, right? Yeah. And I I think that like showing that in the culture is important. But there is no way to do that without depicting minors making out like being intimate with each other. And having it be filmed by adults. Like, there just isn't another way for this system to work. Right. Except, like, an animation, I I guess. But that's worse because then you're drawing children. (laughs) Then some guy's just drawing this these two kids making out yeah. over and over again. That's not better. Yeah. I I think where the real disconnect for me and my hang up is this wasn't necessarily a movie geared toward children either. Yeah. That I think it could be. It could be. You definitely could sit a kid down to watch this movie. I don't think they would enjoy it. No. And I think like, this is a depiction like this is the kind of thing that we need in media geared toward children to also like have that you know to t- unteach that shame and yeah. to unteach because and like I'll unpack all of that but like if you are if your target audience is white 19 to 25 year olds right this is this movie is very much like a cool indie drama right that's for your like cool movie watcher who reviews movies on Substack and is probably 25 right again it's not the depiction and i think you are right and it's important that we as a culture we need to get used to like child sexuality and learning and understanding like it is not for us to consume and it's not for us to under not not understand but not to be involved with right then don't put it in movies for adults yeah i don't know because most movies are for adults yeah and like it's a thing adults have to grapple with too true I don't know. I don't I just don't think we're ever going <laughs> to come to an agreement. And it's okay. These thing these things are complicated and like this was always an issue that is going to be complicated on this show because child sex does very much happen. Yeah, it does. And also teaching both children and adults to recognize the difference between healthy sexuality and coerced sexuality Absolutely. is hugely important. And this these kids the, like for all their immaturity, these kids like love the shit out of each other. They do, and the like talks about cons- like how they handle consent in these few yeah, seconds he, are beautiful. He asks, she gives consent for like any if there's escalation, like it's, it's great, it's perfect, and. It was lovely and I want to not have that squicky feeling and like, but I think it's just going to be, it's something that I have to unpack and deal with myself and it's not necessarily 
a wrong choice. It's just a choice that I don't think I would have totally. made. Because this movie does very much like I haven't seen either of the animated ones, so I bet they feel more this way. But this movie probably feels the most like a children's book of any of the movies that I've seen. Weird. I would bet Fantastic Mr. Fox, a movie based on an actual children's book. Probably yeah, yeah, yeah. Is His more, animated but... stuff are much more childlike, and I'm not even going to like they're in a different category. I honestly but was... like this very much. Re- this movie very much has the vibe of like a young reader book that you might get given by, you know, like a, a fifth grade teacher if you're like an especially enterprising reader, you know? Yeah, I could see it. And in that way, I think the relationship and the intimacy makes sense. Yeah. Because in a lot of those books, there are scenes like that where sex does not occur but like childhood intimacy happens right you know hugs or whatever yeah cuddles or whatever and i think that is very much like kind of a staple of that genre the this this kind of like very chaste intimacy yeah because i also have a thing in my notes about how frustrating it is to be a young child and to have romantic and sexual feelings but to not have a model for how to do how to like show those romantic and sexual feelings except to do everything you see adults doing i know that i felt as a teenager i felt like i had to grow up a lot faster to understand my sexual like my sexuality and like all of those feelings because the only way that i knew how to express them or how they were appropriate were through adult yeah lenses right so, yeah, I mean, from a younger age, I can't imagine it being any easier. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that that's another reason why we need to see more of these, like, childhood relationships and things is to be able to model for kids. Even though, again, this is not a movie that is for children, even though I would argue that it has a very childlike view yeah it absolutely does it's from a child's perspective for sure yeah but i do still think it's important to model what a healthy relationship can look like yeah for children because especially i think this happens to a lot of young queer kids you end up getting into abusive relationships yeah or relationships with toxic dynamics because you don't know what a healthy queer relationship looks like. You've never seen one modeled. Right. And so you end up getting into something. You end up getting in way over your head. Yeah. I like, I don't think I know a single queer person who doesn't have that story. Nope. I may, maybe some Gen Z kids. Yeah, maybe, maybe Gen Z has got it better, but I, yeah, most of my friends, a bonding point has been, Oh yeah, I was in that relationship too. Yeah. Which is horrifying. I still talk about that relationship in therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about these two kids and their relationship and how much they love each other, though, I thought the way the scout leader person who Mm -hmm. was helping them run away handled them wanting to get married was really well done. Yeah. Of, like, making it very clear of, like, this has no legal standing. Right. Make sure you are for real about this. Yeah. And if you still want to do it, then okay. Right. Whatever. Wh- whatever. You're basically just play acting. Right. It's just it's just dramatic play. 
at that point and yeah. just like if they love each other let them love each other yeah and like like are they gonna get a divorce in two weeks yeah absolutely who cares I got plenty of marriages and divorces right. playing house when I was a kid too. It's like they're just, you know, they're autistic, so they're yeah. they're going for it, you yeah. know. Let them go for it. And I appreciated that they did. Everybody in a Wes Anderson movie feels the same kind of lonely nihilism. Yeah. And I thought it was really beautiful in the scene between Susie's parents, Bill Murray and Francis McDormand. Mm -hmm. They're like laying in their separate twin beds. Yeah. And they're just having a conversation like about nothing. And it's just like, I don't know. They're both so sad. They're both so, so sad. They're like quietly destroying their life together. And they're just like not talking about it or doing anything about it. You know, like she apologizes for cheating on him. Yeah. He pretends not to know. He says, like, what are you apologizing for? Right. Right. Obviously, like, obviously everyone knows, but he's pretending not to know. Right. Because it hurts less if he doesn't acknowledge it. Right. Been there. And then she says, oh, just for any thing that still anything that still hurts, which is, again, like not taking responsibility. No. But then he lets her off the hook and says, like, well, most of the half of those are self-inflicted. And I don't know something about that exchange of just like two people who have tried to make a life together and have failed and apparently no longer feel much of anything strong toward each other. Right. Just sort of like quietly being sad and getting old in parallel. I don't know. I thought it was really beautiful. It was. I re- I thought it was interesting. I thought it was. In, uh, I, what were the last two lines of like, he's like, I wish the roof would blow away and suck me away. Right. And her response was like, you're all I've got. Right. Which yeah, it's that quiet little bit of like of nihilism of like there is nothing but sadness and sadness is all we have. Yeah, which as a nihilistic person, I really appreciate <laughs> embrace this chaos. I of just sadness. I just wish there were more little more articulation of that sadness that is so profound and ubiquitous in Wes Anderson movies. Right. I just wish there was more intention behind it. And it wasn't just like these throwaway scenes. And right. it was, you know, actually talked about. Right. Because like that moment felt really real to me. In and a way that like nothing else in this movie does. No. And it was really fucking annoying that it was like just this like little snippet of side characters that we see and then i was like oh is this gonna be a no no." yeah i feel like there's a moment like that in every wes anderson movie where i'm like where it's like the light peeks through the clouds and you're like like, yes yes yes, talk about a thing do a thing feel a thing and then the clouds go over and everybody's like okay well i am profoundly sad but i am going to talk like this for the rest of the movie like come on feel like I have this note over and over. Like, why is no one in a Wes Anderson movie allowed to feel anything? I don't know if this was intentional or not, but a lot of his monotone flatness of all of these movies does feel like 
that empty numbness that comes with depression. Yeah. Where like you're not sad. You just feel nothing. You just feel nothing. Right. And then you get that little glimmer of something and you're like, oh, I can feel again. Uh Uh-huh. And then it just goes away. And then it goes, yeah. But I feel like, again, if you talked about it, if you did something with it. Right. I just like, I can't tell if he just lives in that state. And so he translates it. And he can't. He lives in it so much that he can't see it. Right. Yeah. Or if he's actively trying to do something with it. Yeah, I don't know. I also just, like, want to say that I despise... It gets... I feel like it gets more pronounced as we've watched his movies. Yes. I hate the way everyone talks in this movie. Yeah. I despise the dialogue. It's awful. The way, no, like in every Wes Anderson movie, like no one holds a conversation. They just say things at each other that yeah. like might be marginally related like, to the previous thing that was said. Bottle Rocket and Rushmore were a little bit better because they were like actually like conversations and like right. lines and emotion But bombs and this, no one has a conversation. No. They speak words in the same room with each other. They do. Like this, these performances would be more lively if they were voice actors in who had recorded their performances in different rooms. Yeah, it really bothers me. And at least like the storm gives this movie like some kind of propulsion. A little bit, yeah. Every once in a while when you're about to be like, what the fuck is going on? Why are we watching this movie? Then like a storm thing will happen or we'll cut to the like newscaster guy or whatever explaining that the storm is coming and you're like, oh, right, a thing is going to happen. But then even when it does happen, it's kind of like, meh, meh, everything floods and then it's over. I hated the new ca- newscaster guy. Oh, I thought he was kind of the highlight. Interesting. Let me clarify. His bits were fun. I uh-huh. liked his. I liked the color he brought into it. Sure. What annoys me is the non-consistent status of how he interacts with the story. Yeah, totally. The... I'm talking to the camera and then suddenly I'm in the story and yeah. talking and giving you points. I'm give, it's I'm the ex machina who, right. you know, is telling you where to go. And now I'm back to talking to the camera. Yeah, it does feel like kind of a cheat. It feels like he should either be the framing device and he's not in the story or he's a character in the story and his ability to be a framing device are limited by his knowledge. Because like in the beginning of the movie... He tells us the future. Right. He tells us in three days a storm is coming. So he's obviously omnipotent or at least right. not he's omnipotent, but like more aware aware than he's like a human being. Right. And the way he states it is like in this year of 1963, this storm happened. Right. But then he turns out to be like a real person. And you're like, no, no, no. You can't be like unless you're the Oracle at Delphi, you can't know the future and be a real person. Yeah. It really bothered me. Should we do a lightning round? Let's do a lightning round. Of course, our lead girl had to wear makeup. I wrote that she does like she does wear like classic little girl makeup. She does. It is blue eyeshadow. Blue eyeshadow and like pink lipstick. Yeah. It's like very like subtle, but like candy pink. And it is very within her aesthetic. So like I can see it. But I it's just like, of course, it stays perfect throughout the swimming and camping and shit. And it just never mentions that she brought more or reapplies it. it. It's It's just tattooed on her face. Yeah. Yeah. That bothered me. 
when Sam, right? Mm -hmm. When Sam runs away. Yeah. The rest of his khaki campers are asked to go search for him. Uh Uh-huh. And they all bring weapons. Yeah. One, where did these children get these weapons? I'm telling you, these fucking scouts kids are unhinged. They came with weapons. You're not doing your goddamn job if you've got a kid's got a fucking knife or a baseball bat covered in nails. It's a tree limb with nails hammered through it. It gets used repeatedly in this movie. That's not better. No, it's way worse. It's way worse. (laughs) He made that at camp. Yep. Like, and why do you need weapons for a rescue mission? Right. Because they hate him. Well, yeah, because they hate him. And also because violence is the only response that masculine people are allowed, right? Like, they can't have concern. They can't be worried. They can only be angry and looking for someone to deal violence out on to, like, placate that anger. Yeah. Sucks. It really does. The beginning and the end of this movie is these children listening to this, like, orchestral breakdown. Yeah. And I was like, wow, children in Wes Anderson movies truly cannot ever be children. Nope. They have to listen to orchestral music on records. That's the only thing children can do. Like, I get it was the 60s and records was all you had. But but there was better music. There was better music. (laughs) There was much better music. There was actual music. This is a dumb one. And it shouldn't bother me this much. But in the beginning, when they are talking about Sam, how Sam has run away and has a canoe... They keep referring to him rowing the canoe. Yes, you paddle a canoe. You don't row it. It made me so mad. I think true, genuinely, a lot of people don't know that rowing means a specific thing. Because I've heard this before. Like Rowing is I, a specific action. Yes, rowing means you're facing the rear of the boat and you're propelling the boat with your your draw pushing the paddle toward the back of the boat on a lever. Yeah. Right? That is the definition of a, of a row. And but like canoes and kayaks are not rowed, they're paddled. You don't have a lever, you use two hands. You're facing the front of the boat and you're pushing it rather than like dragging it yeah. from the anyway. You paddle a canoe. You paddle a canoe. You row a rowboat. He's not on crew. He's in a goddamn canoe. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> you rhymed. I did. This scoutmaster just like keeps a running captain's log. He like does. A, like a oral audio scoutmaster's log. Yeah, he does. I do not think this is necessary. I feel like it's inappropriate and like could cross a lot of confidentiality lines. That's a good point. Like, because those tents are not well insulated. Yeah. And the likelihood of you spilling and boy and kids are nosy. Yeah. So like if you record at the same time every day. Yeah. Kids are going to figure it out. Yeah. Come listen to your tent for all the tea. Right. I get that there's like a lot of crappy folks in the foster care system, but these foster parents of Sam's 
just at the first sign of trouble, they're like, okay, that's fine. You can give him back to the state. Knowing full well that, like, he probably can't be given to another foster home. Yeah, they just, they're like, not our problem. Yeah, and especially, like, you can't be a foster parent and not know how bad things are for kids in the foster system, especially after around this age. Like if kids are going to get adopted, it's going to be before they're teenagers. And then once they're teenagers, kind of no one cares about them anymore. And the foster care system is so toxic that a lot of those kids end up getting themselves emancipated just so that they don't have to live in those group homes anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And in the 60s, imagine how fucking horrible those group homes were. Yeah, they, I mean, look at where they were trying to send him as yeah. a result of, you know, where they're openly using ECT and, Jesus. you know, it's a prison. It's not a group yeah. home. Yeah, it's literally like baby jail. <laughs> Did you know that you actually, electroshock therapy actually is... A valid, if radical, treatment for, like, treatment-resistant depression and PTSD. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, treatment-resistant. Yeah, treatment-resistant. Yeah. Keywords. As frustrating as it is to have a child run away, and as easy as it would be to blame the other child in this situation and to separate them from each other indefinitely... I promise you that is just going to make it worse. They ran away for a reason and it wasn't the other child. Right. They ran away because they feel strange and unaccepted and un- like un- understood, Unsafe. unseen. And they've met someone who finally saw them, who finally understood and felt safe with them. And now you're ripping away the only comfort and safety they've ever had. Like, speaking from experience, one or both of these kids tries to kill themselves. Yeah. 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 My guess is Susie. Yeah. That would be my guess, too. If Susie's parents get their way, Susie's dead by 17. Yeah. Because they're just going to keep trying to, like, tamp her down more and more. And she's just going to get more miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And she's going to end up hurting herself instead of someone else. Yep. Why is it that a large part of every Wes Anderson movie is hatching a scheme? He does like schemes. Literally everyone we've watched. Bottle Rocket, Rushmore to a lesser extent, but like Royals whole thing in Royal Tenenbaums. And then like this, there's always some kind of scheme, some plot, some like. Does he not have another plot device? I think he truly doesn't know how else to move a plot except to have one of his characters in the movie literally plot something. Like, I think he took the the screenwriting note too literally. Like, it that those two words don't have to mean the same thing. It doesn't. Not every movie plot has to be a scheme or a caper. It could just be the tism. <laughs> it just took it too literally. <laughs> Yes, all my movies have plots. They have deep criminal plots. <laughs> I want to hike this island. I want to hike this too. island so bad. Especially because it looks like the kind of place you could hike the whole island Yeah, in it's one only day. 16 miles yeah. long. Yeah, you could do the whole thing or like do a circuit of it pretty easily do in like a two one day or two tri- days. Yeah, yeah, like do go to one end on the south side, camp overnight, do the north side on the way back. Yeah. 
Like, fuck, that sounds amazing. That it, sounds pretty incredible, actually. It, especially if there's no paved roads Ugh. and you can just like walk everywhere and you, not deal with cars. Right. You don't have to worry about watching your back to get hit by a car and or you whatever. You can just cross giant meadows. Please sign me the that fuck up. That sounds amazing. I love the beetle earrings, the like beetle and fish hook earrings. I want a pair. I know. I was like, I would wear a pair of those. Also, getting your ears pierced by fish hooks. That's oh. a new one. I have seen a lot of ear piercings Ooh. with weird things, but fish hooks are a new one. Fish hooks would be vicious. And I love the scene where we like, she's like, it's beautiful. And there's like blood running down her neck from her pierced ear. It's lovely. Such a good moment. Yeah. I just, the last thing I wanted to talk about is something we've talked about before, which is giving children alcohol. Yeah. Wes Anderson has a thing about giving children alcohol. Mm-hmm. Is there something you want to talk about, bud? Yeah, the combination of like the weird child intimacy and the relationship with older people and the giving children alcohol. It's like, buddy, I want to talk about these things we with talk a therapist. A- we should talk about these things. Because uh, if you are not that child's parent... Or close relative. Right. Do not give them alcohol. And like that, this guy. The b- police chief. Like Bruce Willis does end up, you know, adopting the kid or like taking over as his like foster parent in Weird. the end. Weird. But like, you don't know that. And like just giving this kid beer, this obviously like mentally ill, already vaguely unstable kid beer is probably not helping the situation not at all you are an older man who does not know this child offering them alcohol that's bad optics my guy bad optics real like you are not the good guy in any version of this no i'm sorry and like i feel bad saying that because i do think as americans we have too much cultural stigma around the drinking age and when it is appropriate for children to drink. True. I have met some Irish people and, you know, people, European people who have told me that like the culture is very much different of like, you just, it's totally normal to have a glass of wine at dinner, even if you're 14 or something like it's not unusual. Um, and then there's also the Irish. Um, <laughs> but God, I can't wait to move to Ireland. <laughs> but I'm not sure. It's another one of these things where it's like, I do think you're right that it being a parent is an essential part. Or you have a relationship with the kid and it's not just he's staying over the night because he's in your custody. Right. And also the other thing is like this kid has just been through a fairly traumatic experience right yeah. like he ran away to try and be alone with this girl and to try and finally find a place where he was accepted and you've taken him away from that and you know sort of abducted him back to society right and now the context in which you're giving him the alcohol is kind of the concerning part for me because now this very much could be like an emotional crutch. It's like, a, oh, you had a hard day. Here, have a beer. You're creating a bad coping mechanism. Right, which is exactly like, that's a terrible coping mechanism. That's exactly how addiction starts. Like, 
that's exactly how you get into a substance abuse problem is, well, I had a bad feeling. I have to use my substance. And so anytime a bad feeling happens, I have to turn to that substance.